Hi there, I'm Ken Cruz, author of Dad Bod, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 266, our favorite ACDC songs. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, we're going to take a look at one of the most iconic hard rock bands of all time. That's ACDC. We're going to each run down our top five favorite ACDC songs. But before we get to anything else, I actually have an announcement to make. Someone around here had a, they had a birthday recently. Derek Myers, happy birthday. Happy birthday, my friend. I hope you had a good time. I did. I did. I actually had a chance to uh, take in a, well, I was going to say rock concert, Mm -hmm. but given our topic tonight, I think that's the wrong term. I had the opportunity to take in a live music concert it was featured four bands from that were big in the nineties. Mm. Uh, well, let's not even say big. Let's some of them were big. <laughs> they were around uh, in the nineties. Yeah, that. that's okay. a good one. They were around. <laughs> they had a presence in the nineties okay. to a certain extent. Uh, the 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 lineup included Fastball, Tonic, Sugar Ray, and the Gin Blossoms. All bands I know, all bands I was excited to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they all put on a great show. They all sounded amazing, given cool. that, you know, they passed their prime 20 years ago. Uh, and of all the four of those bands, I think I have to admit Sugar Ray put on the best show. I think Mark McGrath really just gets the gets show business. Like he gets that he's an entertainer. He sort of has a persona as being like this, you know, douchey rock guy. And he just leans right into it. Um, and yeah, no, it was a lot of fun, but as, as a guy who's almost 50 years old, four bands took four hours and this isn't a festival. We're talking an actual like theater stadium and it's like hockey games don't even take four hours. Like, come on, man, I'm old. I I felt like you, Chris. I'm like, I'm an old man. Let me go back to my room and go to sleep. (laughs) That's me. Anyway, I had a good time and then, uh, it was at the casino Niagara Falls. So I had a chance to gamble a little bit. So. All good. Yeah. Had a great birthday. It was a lot of fun. This year on the podcast, we've been reviewing movies that are celebrating major milestones. It's not a major milestone for you this year, Derek, but uh, very soon, I think we got one coming. Yep. Pretty soon. I'll be getting those sweet, sweet seniors discounts, just like you keep talking about. We will have a huge party. It's next year, right? It is indeed. Yes. Anyhow. That's going to be good. uh, Let me tell you. Yeah. I was going to say, just before we get to our favorite ACDC songs, any pop culture you've been able to get around to? Yeah, not. I mean, outside of the concert, not mm-hmm. not as much as I might normally. But good news for you, I I do have some documentaries to talk yes. about at the end. But oh, let me, I'm uh, so happy. 
I've got I've got movies, books, and documentaries. So oh, let me good. start with the movies. Educate me, my friend. <laughs> what, it's a very uh, short list here. All right, go so for it. I had a chance to watch a relatively new movie that came out in 2019 called Book Smart, uh, directed by Olivia Wilde. I believe it was the first movie she directed. Um, it stars um, Caitlin De- uh, Dever, who you may know or may remember from the series Dope Sick. Uh, she was the daughter that got hooked on Oxy. Oh, yes. And, you had me watch that show. That show was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she was also in uh, the musical movie Dear Evan Hansen. She played the sister that Evan Hansen had the crush on. So I, I was watching this. I'm like, oh, where cool. do I know her from? Like, that's where she's from. Cool. It also stars um, uh, Beanie Feldstein, who people may know as um, the real life sister of Jonah Hill. And it's uh, this movie was actually really good. I it got good reviews when it came out, but it it didn't necessarily do that well. It got compared to the movie Superbad a lot, and I can understand why. The premise of the movie is these two girls are like super academically inclined. They've basically sworn off any social activities during high school so that they could just get good grades and go to a good college. And they find out basically on the last day of school that all the people who were just popular slackers all got into the same schools they got into and other good schools. And they realized like maybe we missed out on a huge part of high school by not doing the party scene. So they decide to just take four years worth of partying and jam it into one night. Uh, the tagline on the poster is getting straight A's giving zero F's. And uh, it, it actually was pretty good. I really, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. I guess I went in with kind of lower expectations, but it was good. I, I enjoyed it. And so uh no, I was glad I had a chance to watch it because uh, cool. I'd heard good things. So right. it's called Booksmart. Uh, I want to say it was on probably Amazon. I've been doing a lot of Amazon stuff lately. Um, then I was uh, I was getting ready to do my exercise the other day and my my cable went out. And I thought, well, normally I ride my exercise bike if it's crappy weather out and I, I watch TV. But with the cable out and the Internet down, I was like, what the hell am I going to do? So I just grabbed the Blu-ray and threw it in the player. I picked uh, the Marvel movie Captain America Winter Soldier. I thought I've seen this one a bunch of times. The beginning's pretty good. I only need, you know, 45 more minutes. Let me just throw it on. Well, I forgot how good this movie is. I ended up finishing my workout, pausing the movie, got cleaned up, came back, watched the last hour of the movie. This this movie ages really well. Like, obviously, there are so many superhero movies out that they all start to blur together. Especially a lot of people will do what I've often done. You go, ah, I'm just going to start watching them all again from the beginning. You watch them one after another. And I think you sort of do a disservice to some of the better ones. And let me tell you, this this was definitely one of the better ones. And I, I brought it up with a couple of my nerdy friends in the last week. I said, hey, guys, you know, I just rewatched this week recently. And everyone seemed to agree that they felt this was definitely in their top five, if not their top three of the Marvel movies. Uh, so, yeah, Captain America Winter Soldier. If you haven't seen it in a while, it holds up. Go back. So, so there was Captain America and then they had sequels to Captain America. Well, this the first was one, one was of them. called. The first one was called Captain America, the first Avenger. Okay. The second one is this one was called Captain America, Winter Soldier. And mm-hmm. the third one was Captain America, Civil War. Uh, and again, they're all tied into the ongoing stories of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, again, uh, Captain America is one of those superheroes that, that doesn't really have superpowers. So it, they have to rely more on some of the story and the narrative than they do with, say, someone like, oh, I'm Thor, I'm a god, I have a magic hammer. Like you can... You can hand wave a lot of the storytelling right. and go, it's magic. It's happening. The guy can fly because of magic. It's like, well, it's Captain America. You know, it's it's more of a it's got to rely on the character building a little more. Gotcha. Uh, believe me, there's some phony baloney parts in these movies as well. It's a comic book movie after all. But no, it's it's quite good. It really I thought it really held up well. Then I had a chance to uh, read or rather listen to a new book that just came out. Chris, this might interest you a lot mm-hmm. because it's a book about 
betting on sports. Oh, cool. So the book is called Gambler Secrets from a Life at Risk. And the author is a gentleman named Billy Walters, who is widely believed and, and to be the best sports gambler, the most uh, successful sports gambler ever. Uh, a lot of the the way that a lot of sports gambling works today is based off of his systems that he's put in place over the last 30 years. He's worked with a lot of the casinos when they started putting sports gambling into the casinos and making it more legit. Um, he works with a lot of the um, the gambling websites now and with a lot of the broadcasters uh, to to do like special um, segments on, on TV about sports gambling and educating people on like, what do the lines mean and, and what are safe bets or what are reasonable bets? Obviously there's no such thing as a safe bet, but it was fascinating listening to this guy's life story. Um, I, like I said, I listened to it as a book on audio. It just came out. The book just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, it was quite good. It's called gambler. Uh, it's written by, uh, Billy Walters. It's about him. It's his life story. And he reads it. I will give you a hint though. If you're going to listen to this as an audiobook, which I did, the guy's like 80 years old and he speaks really slowly because he's 80 years old. Listen to it faster than you're normal. I listened to it 1.25 times and that was about perfect. Found that I listened to the first hour just on normal speed and I was like, oh my God, dude, get to it already. So <laughs> nice. just, just a little tip if you're going to listen. Good advice. To yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I finally, after many weeks, had a chance to watch a couple of documentaries. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. Likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. Oh, please do share. It's been a while. All right. So what documentaries? Uh, on on uh, so I, I had a chance to finally dip back into my mother's Netflix account because you know password sharing and stuff. But uh, anyway, um, th there's a series on Netflix called Untold, and it's a documentary series uh, that talks about sports. And each episode features some sort of ridiculousness that's happened in sports. There was one I talked about previously about a, a basketball referee that would gamble on the games. That oh, he was yes. I remember like, you telling me. A lot that, of these yeah. scandalous things. Mm -hmm. There was like a guy who killed racehorses for insurance fraud. It's like these these bizarre stories. So I had a chance to watch two episodes because they've dropped a new season. So uh, on the recommendation of my brother and a few other people, I went and watched a couple of them. So I watched two episodes this week. Uh, one of them, the episode was called Hall of Shame. And it was all about uh, doping and steroids in, well, in professional sports, but largely about baseball and track and field. Um, something called uh, Balco, which was the the company that did all the drug testing and the drug masking. And they were coming up with ways to do like designer performance enhancing drugs that would not be detected by typical testing techniques. Um, it was it was interesting. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff about steroids in professional sports in the past, so while this was a new take on it, the outcome was pretty much the same. Eventually they all get caught and that's why we're seeing a documentary on it. Um, so that one was pretty good. But then another one that I watched that was fantastic, it's called Johnny football. Chris, do you know who Johnny football is? No, I don't think so. so. No, I, and I don't either. Cause I don't watch football. Or Me, I'm not a big college, football guy. No. Well, and he was college. He was a college football player predominantly. So okay. it's about a quarterback named Johnny Menzel who um, probably about 15 years ago was like, uh, phenom, a phenom in uh, in high school. He ended up getting a full ride to college. Uh, he went to Texas A&M and like he won the Heisman Trophy. His first year was like the first rookie to win a Heisman in like 50 years or ever. And um, he, he ended up playing two, two seasons or well, two years at college and then went pro. Um, 
and then didn't do as well as a pro player. But the whole thing is that just he was like not your typical athlete. He he didn't work out. He didn't go to practice. He didn't watch game tapes. He didn't do what the coaches told him. He's just he was so naturally gifted. He could literally just walk on the field, do his thing, be amazing and then go party. And that was the whole thing about him. That's why people loved him because he just he was partying with like rock stars and celebrities and supermodels and rappers. And and then eventually he started figuring out a way to earn money because as a college athlete, you're not allowed to earn money. And so they came up with this this thing where he ended up earning all this money behind the scenes. And then he started he like bought a private jet and he would fly around the world and stuff. And then he would like party the night before a football game and then show up for the game super hungover and then still go out and set a record like he was that good. So it was fascinating. And as someone who didn't know absolutely anything about this guy, it was 100 percent brand new to me. And I thought it was great. Obviously, people who are into football probably know all about this guy. But uh, yeah, no, two great episodes um, on the Untold series. Uh, there's two more I haven't had a chance to watch yet. So uh, they're coming. I think the next one was about uh, the Florida Gators football team. Again, don't follow football, so don't know anything about what this is about. But it's obviously important enough to make a documentary series on. So I'm looking maybe it might be about Gatorade. That'd Probably not. Cool. But uh, you never know. I'll yeah. tell you next week after yeah. I've had a chance to watch it. Because it was about that. So that Okay. That was it for me. What about you? I've mentioned this before, Derek. There's a Canadian TV station out of Hamilton, Ontario, that replays old TV shows from like the 60s and 70s and 80s. Needless yep. to say, it's one of my favorite TV stations. Go figure. So the other day, I'm flipping around the TV, and I see that Gilligan's Island was on that station. Black so, and white or in color? So this was a color one that I watched. Now, okay. the thing was, this show originally ran from 64 to 67. Most Gen Xers grew up, you know, past that, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s. But the thing was, they got a chance, we, we Gen Xers got a chance to watch the show nonstop because it was always on in reruns. Always. Always. Like, like for me and for a lot of other people during Gen X, Gilligan's Island used to be on every weekday afternoon after school. You come home from school, you put on Gilligan's Island. And there was under 100 episodes overall, so most people have seen like every single episode, you know, multiple times. But anyway. I think that's fair. Most Gen Xers understand this. There was this long-running question. Ginger or Marianne? Like either you had a crush on Ginger and you liked that glamorous, sultry, beautiful woman. Or you liked Marianne, who was the wholesome girl next door type, right? The, actually, Derek, the same thing applied to WKRP because it was like Bailey or Jennifer. But okay. so, so again, most guys have been involved in this debate to some degree. You know, whenever Gilligan's Island came up, you know, it was like, you know, this debate would happen. Ginger and Marianne. And like I say, I used to watch a show when I was like a lot younger. So... As, as I've mentioned here on the podcast, you know, I like to go back and watch some of this old pop culture from our youth. So now I look at things from a, from a different lens now that I'm older. And I got to tell you, as a 50-year-old man going back and watching this show again, there was a viable third option on the island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at you, Mrs. Howell. <laughs> oh, God. Here's your... Dad joke of the week. I'm an old dad, so now I got to tell an old dad joke. Okay, since we're doing our favorite ACDC songs this week, I felt it was only fitting I did an ACDC dad joke for you. Okay? Okay. Derek, why is the band called ACDC? 
I have no idea. Because that's the only three chords that they know. <laughs> that's pretty good. Oh, yes. Is there any chance you might have a documentary for us this week? Derek Stocks! Derek Stocks! Party time! Excellent! Colonel Sanders. Slow down there, Chris. Was he finger-licking good? Oh, my, my, my. I can think of 11 reasons not to like that. <laughs> Two of which you know are salt and pepper. Oh, I heard about this. Oh, my God. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. But I appreciate the effort. Back the truck up. Hold it. You know, more than just white dudes. Two of my favorite things, Star Wars and beer. So as my dad joke points out, you know, there's that age old joke about ACDC. Like they are the kings of three chord songs, right? You know, like they really were. But but I think that's okay. Like as, as a guitar player and a, a former guitar player in a band myself and, and also world famous singer and songwriter, Derek, as you know, you know, that's me. You know, I, I think that's okay that you just play three chords because it's not what you play. It's how you play it, right? And ACDC not only had some of the best hooks in the history of rock music, as far as I'm concerned, they hardly ever used power chords. They almost exclusively used open chords in their songs. And that's what gave their sound such a twangy kind of feel and sound to it. And it makes ACDC really unique in their sound. Like Thunderstruck uses power chords. But a song like Highway to Hell is like, it's all open chords. It just, it sounds so different. So anyway, uh, you know, like, you know, who cares if the chord progressions are simple? I think I just, I, as far as I'm concerned, as long as the songs kick butt, doesn't matter. I think not too many bands in the history of rock consistently kicked butt the way AC, ACDC did. Do you agree or disagree on that one? No, I definitely agree. And um, I mean, we've, we've sort of done this exercise with a few other big bands mm -hmm. that were huge. Like we did uh, Queen, we did Michael Jackson, we did Van Halen, uh, you know, like we, we try to find, too, we think. did Prince, yeah. thank you. Wow, can't believe yeah. I missed Prince. So like we're looking for artists that have a large catalog of music and, and a large catalog of great music because a lot of bands have a big catalog, but it's clear they've got like, these are their three best songs, there's no question. And that makes for boring radio. So we wanted to make sure that we have a band that we both like, that has a lot of good songs, a lot of hits, a lot of uh, a lot of things to talk about. And um, I think ACDC, we, we like you and I have talked about this. So we have three or four bands sort of lined up that we're going to eventually do this exercise with. Mm -hmm. And I knew ACDC was on the list. I, now, I think in all fairness, I think you like ACDC a lot more than I do. Like I like them. I would say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I give them probably a seven, but I think from what I understand of you, usually probably would put them more at a nine out of 10 yes. or 10 out of 10. Is that nine, fair? Nine to nine and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I mean, we're not going to both like everything equally. No. And that's part of what makes for a show like this is <laughs> we're going to come we at it with that. different opinions. That's why we do this. So as much as I like ACDC, um, I, I, I know definitely, you know, you like them more, you know, them more, and I think you have a longer history with them than I do, which I'll get into with my very first pick. Right. Um, and I think that's part of where, you know, as we go through the list, it's going to be quickly become apparent sort of where our songs are different is going to be largely how we came to know the band. See, for me, it's not just that ACDC kick, butt; they were a little bit popular too. like Derek. If Michael Jackson's Thriller album did not exist, the highest selling album of all time would be Back in Black. Uh, Back in Black, yeah. By ACDC. It's number two. So, like, 
it's 50 million copies sold to thrillers, 70 million. Pretty impressive. But I mean, ACDC was a band with like really broad appeal. Like they were huge, 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 huge. So I have a question before you, before we get started. Did you ever see ACDC in concert? Uh, I did when oh, the, wow. uh, yeah, it was actually not that long ago when um, we were going through the SARS crisis mm-hmm. uh, probably about 10 years ago that was like around that. 2001 2002 something like wow that. was it that long yeah. ago man yeah. i'm starting to get like you all these all back in my day we had a sars concert uh so they did a big uh charity benefit concert here in toronto where they brought together a whole bunch of bands um including i think the rolling stones were the headliner acdc was on the bill rush was on the bill uh, Justin Timberlake happened to be in Toronto that week doing a concert. So he agreed to do a set, even though that wasn't really the kind of music they were promoting for this event. But when you, it's a charity event, you you take what you can get. And so that was the only time I've actually had a chance to see ACD, ACDC performing live. And it was at this, you know, basically festival type setting where it was, uh, you know, not in a theater, not in a concert hall. It was an outdoor event. And, you know, it was great. I mean, it was... Um, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed it, but being the kind of event it was, we were quite a ways back from the main stage, but, uh, but it still sounded good. That is, ACDC is one of the bands I truly regret. I've never seen live. I always regretted not seeing them live, but I have another question for you. So ACDC basically had two incarnations of the band. As you know, they started out with Bon Scott as their lead singer, and they did seven albums with him as their front man. Like they did High Voltage and TNT. Both were Australian-only releases. Then they went High Voltage in 76 internationally. They did Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap, Let There Be Rock, Powerage, Highway to Hell. Then in February of 1980, Bon Scott was drinking at a bar in London, England one night, passed out in his friend's car and never woke up. They found him dead the next day. The official coroner's report said he died from acute alcohol poisoning. There's been rumors for years that he choked on his own vomit in his sleep. But anyway, he died and the band obviously considered breaking up, but they decided to keep going and they brought in Brian Johnson. So they basically have had two incarnations of the band, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Like we've seen it with like Van Halen and stuff too, but it's still pretty amazing. So my question, I guess for you, Derek is Bon Scott ACDC or Brian Johnson ACDC. Do you prefer one or the other? Uh, well, I mean, again, I I didn't come to ACDC until the late eighties. So by then I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm hearing the, the, the current singer in the eighties. Uh, it wasn't until years later, I started to become more familiar with their older back catalog. So I think, uh, I think I got to go with the new guy. Yeah. And I, I guess their first album with Brian Johnson was the second highest selling album, album of all time. So there's that. Um, yeah. Okay. So why don't we get started? We'll do our top five list. You can kick us off your number five favorite ACDC song. Go. Yeah. Uh, so before I do that, I just want to, I just looked it up. Starts the SARS stock concert. In mm-hmm. Toronto was in 2003. It was 20 okay. years ago. Wow. 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 All right. Anyway, uh, my number five. So mm-hmm. uh, my number five song is probably not going to make most people's list, even if we gave them to top 10 or top 15, but it, it's, it's a big song for me and I'll tell you why in a minute. So the song sure. I'm going with is called big gun. It's from 1993. It was on the last action hero soundtrack. Again, mm-hmm. you're like, what's that? 
It was a movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1993. It was considered, it's considered, yeah, one of Arnold's biggest flops. Um, You know, up until that point, everything Arnold Schwarzenegger had ever done was a success. And, you know, it was a different kind of movie. It just didn't click. But man, oh man, it had a fantastic soundtrack. It had all these rock artists who were big in the late 80s and early 90s. And ACDC, the number one song, like literally track one, was a song called Big Gun. And it was the main theme for the for the movie. And that was really, uh, you know, sort of not my introduction to ACDC, but in the like sort of around the, the mid to late 90s, like the mid to late 80s. Uh, 89, 90, 91, sort of. That's when I started to get into music that was a little heavier. Up until then, I'd been into more like pop music, top 40. And so this was this was one of the first ACDC songs that was released when I was like, okay, now I'm into more like heavy, I don't want to say heavy metal because I don't think what I liked really would be classified that way, but let's say heavy rock. And so this this song really just did it for me. Given that in 93, we're, get, we're starting to get into an era where it's a lot of like, boy bands and softer pop music and and all the the a lot of the rock bands are doing like ballads and mm-hmm. and uh, things of that nature and we're just on the cusp of what's going to be um uh, the grunge era so like music was sort of in a weird place at that point so when you get this song right at the start of summer like that's this like heavy rock song it just was the right song the right time I'm 1993. That's the year I graduated from high school. So this was like an important summer for me. And this was like a number one hit song in Canada anyway. Um, and uh, so it, it it's just always held a special place for me. It's uh, It did reach number one on the U.S. Billboard uh, rock charts. And uh, I was doing a little bit of the homework, even, you know, again, sort of to emphasize just because I like it doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily a fan favorite. It said that ACDC has only ever played this song live once. And that was in 1996 during a rehearsal, but they have never once ever played it at a live show as a part of the actual concert. So even though I like this song a lot, clearly the band doesn't feel that it makes it into their, uh, the best of their best. Cause obviously you only have what, two to three hours when you're putting on a show and yes, they have a deep bench, as we've already talked about. They obviously don't feel that this makes the makes the cut. But for me, it does. It's my number five pick. Well, this this isn't the top five, you know, or most popular five ACDC songs. It's our favorite ACDC songs. And that's yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah. Funny, I'm looking at my top five and three of them are from the Bon Scott era. So that's I do like the older stuff. OK, my number five in 1977. The band came out with uh, Let There Be Rock. That was their fourth album. And it's really, it's known for Let There Be Rock and Problem Child. Those are the two big songs off it. But the last song on side two is one of the most energetic songs the band ever made, I think. And that's Whole lot of Rosie. So, man, this song kicks butt. So, like, big butt actually because the song was written about an obese Tasmanian prostitute that Bon Scott uh, how shall we say visited you know back in the mid 70s the lyrics if you listen to it they, they point out her dimensions 42 39 56 and that she's weighing in at 19 stone which works out to be like 250 pounds or something Jeez. so so the lyrics make the song pretty much sophomoric you know, really, but it's not the lyrics that I like about this song. It's just the raw energy that the band puts into it. Musically, it's pretty much as simple as you can get. You know, like we mentioned about ACDC, they use three chords. This one's basically two chords, 
you know, it's just an A and a D just with some riff notes to give it a hook. And then in the middle, they've got this kind of dueling guitars thing going on between Angus and Malcolm. Angus does the riff on the high notes and Malcolm plays the, the two chords in rhythm. It is a great song. It just pops. Yeah. So yeah, it's got juvenile lyrics. You could even construe them as offensive really, but the song is just energetic. It's probably one of the most energetic songs that they have. So it's my number five. So I can, I can honestly say I've never heard it. Oh, well, you never heard get, it before. Well, go look it up at least on YouTube, whole lot of Rosie and give it a listen. Okay. And you'll be like, oh my God, that's pretty good. It's it's like, it's super energetic. So I, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's my number five favorite. So your number right. four favorite ACDC All song right. is. My, my number four favorite. We're going what? back to 1976. We're yeah. getting the title song from their album, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt mm. Cheap. So you want to talk about juvenile lyrics. I mean, they're not, they're not winning any Pulitzers for poetry with these lyrics, right? It's basically... It is, you know, as the title says, dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Like he repeats it again and again and again. There's no deep meaning. It's straight up. I'll do bad things for money. Uh, but it really rocks. It's got, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I like about ACDC is that usually their songs are pretty fast paced. And for me, that's always a staple of a good rock song. It's got to have like a, a you know, we, we talk about the beats per minute when you when you look at like exercising and working out. Your songs need to have so many beats per minute. I find ACDC, a lot of their songs, especially the ones I really like, tend to be like faster beats. And this one, it's just it's again, it, it kicks right in and um, uh, just it. it Again, I, I, it's hard. I'm finding it hard to describe it, but um, let me give you a couple of the, the facts on here. Song reached number 24 on uh, VH1's 40 Greatest Metal Songs. Uh, it reached number 31, Best Hard Rock Song of All Time uh, on another countdown that VH1 had put together. And uh, when it came out, it reached number four on the Top Tracks chart, which I guess was a precursor to Billboard. Um, so it did okay. It got it, it has a bit of a reputation. Uh, it is one of those ones, even though it's from 1976, uh, that does still continue to get airplay on some of the classic rock channels. So you do hear it from time to time. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, Again, I don't really have a lot more to say about it. Just then, I really like it, and uh, it's my number four. No, I, I, that's a good pick, and it's it's a unique song too, because it's it's yeah. different than it doesn't have all these power chords and like rhythm and stuff. It's it's a good one. Okay, my number four. This one's a little bit obscure, I think, but um, we mentioned Brian Johnson joined the band, and Back in Black was this huge success. And then they followed that up with For Those About to Rock, We Salute You, which was awesome, too. But then they released Flick of the Switch in 1983, and that album sucked. <laughs> it totally sucked. But then they followed that up with Fly on the Wall. And for me, that's that was right around the time that I just really kind of got to know ACDC a bit. So... That was a big introduction to ACDC for me, was Fly on the Wall. And Shake Your Foundations was like the big song on that album. Um, but it also included one of my all-time favorite songs from the band, and that's Sink the Pink. So let's be honest. Pretty much every ACDC song has some sort of double entendre and sexual innuendo. No kidding. <laughs> and then so does Sink the Pink. I mean, <laughs> come on, right? But... It's not that, it's the music of the song that I like so much. So the way that Malcolm's rhythm guitar just kind of hits you in the chest and and Angus finger picks the licks, uh, I don't know. 
There's the chorus that makes you want to just shout it out. And Angus's solo in this song just shreds. I mean, he always shreds it, but this song has always been one of my favorites. I, I Like I say, I remember the time I felt like this is almost like another comeback for the band because like they had a bad album in between. I think if any other band had this as their only song they ever made, they'd probably be happy. But for ACDC, it's like not even one of their better known songs. Like, but I've always loved it. I used to love playing the intro on, on my electric guitar. Um, although I never used to bang my head up and down like Angus did. How the hell did he ever play guitar like that? We got to mention that. Like, how did he not get brain damage from doing that? Or, or like long-term neck, neck injury? Yeah, neck injury. I don't know. I understand. It's crazy. But uh, anyway, so that's my uh, that's my number four. So what's your number three favorite ACDC song? Well, as you say, you were talking about uh, double entendres mm-hmm. and stuff for my number four pick that I just talked about, Dirty Deeds, Dunder Cheap. Yep. Uh, sort of an honorable mention song that I, I just couldn't justify putting on the list was a song called Big Balls, which mm-hmm. always makes me laugh. Uh, and if you don't think there's any double meeting in that song, you got to go back and listen to it again. But in any case, I remember my uncle driving down the street in our town, listening to that song cranked up. And my mom was just so angry, <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. All right. Uh, I think I'm going to make a lot of people upset with this next pick, my number three oh. pick, because I think a lot of people feel that it's very, very much should be considered their number one pick. Oh, what is it? Uh, definitely. It's from their number one album and it's the title track Back in Black mm, yep. from 1980. So uh, as we've talked about before, this was their uh, seventh album and it was the first one uh, with the new singer after uh, Bon Scott died. And uh, it did fairly well. Uh, when it came out, it reached 37 on the Billboard, the song rather, the single, reached number 37 on the Billboard Top 100. Um, Rolling Stone put together a list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. It was number 187, so it made the top 500. And uh, this is a fan favorite. This this is the title track to Back in Black. It's got that great intro um, for for. A younger audience, people probably now when they hear it, associate it with the first Iron Man movie. Yes. Because yes, with the Marvel right. Cinematic Universe, that's the first Iron Man is the first movie. And in the very first scene, what do you see? It's the the limousines or I think they were in uh, SUVs driving through the desert on his way to to do his arms deal. And you hear the the back in black song begin and it just sets a tone. And I, and I think it's so per, it was a perfect choice because it literally does. You hear this, you hear this music and it sort of just gives you a certain like mindset, like uh, despite the fact that the song is a tribute to their lead singer that had died, they wanted the song to be a celebration. You know, you always hear that. And they're like, it's not a funeral. It's a celebration of life. This song literally is a celebration. Like you listen to it, it's a rock song. And it's like, you know, they're they're saying literally in it, like we're still around. The guy died and that's tragic and we miss him and he was great and all the rest of that. But they're like, we're still here. We still have stuff to say and we're going to keep rocking. And this song rocks. This song is awesome. It does. <laughs> and like, if this is, like I can only imagine in 1980, you're into music, you go to your record store because you bought records back then. And you bring this record home and you're like, I wonder what these songs are going to be like. And you put the album on your turntable and this is what you hear as the first song. And you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, like they can't possibly top this. And then you keep listening to this album and you like, this album is amazing. It has so many good songs on it. And uh, no, this, this arguably, this makes the top, top three, top five of just about every 
every ACDC fan. A lot of people are probably going to be really ticked off that I didn't put it as my number one. Uh, but no, this this definitely had to make the list. And believe me, it was a tough call for me. My one, two, three really could have come in in any order. But uh, I felt putting it at number three was uh, was the right place for me. So uh, that's my number three pick, the title track from Back in Black. Great pick. And as a guitar player myself, I got to say, nobody in the history of the world can play the intro on Back in Black properly on guitar except Angus. Yeah. They just cannot pull it off for whatever reason. It's it's again, it's not what you play, it's how you play it. Yep. Okay, my number 3. I'm going with it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. That's a good pick. If you can pull off a bagpipe solo in the middle of a hard rock song, man, you got talent, you know, as a band. And that that was Bon Scott playing the bagpipes too. I love this song. Nice. It's it, it's it, it's all about what it's like to slog it out and make it as a rock and roll band. And it's the first song on the international release of High Voltage. So really, this song is the introduction to ACDC for the world, really. And what an introduction. It's such a good song. Bon Scott's vocals are insanely good in this song. And obviously, the message is all about how tough it is to get to the top, which is... True for anything, not just a rock and roll band. So there's a message here. And the thing is, this was Bon Scott's song. This was so much his song that Brian Johnson never performed it. Out of respect for him. Out of respect for him, he never performed it. So ACDC never played this song live after Brian Johnson joined them. So I also like it how in School of Rock, um, this is the song that they do for their encore. And it plays over the closing credits when they're in the School of Rock. It's a great song. I love it. That's my number three. So no, it's a great pick. And I just like you said, I love that they put the the uh, the bagpipes in there, and it just mm-hmm. totally works. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely one when you're listening to it in the car and it comes on, you got to turn it up. Like it, it's so, so it's good. the louder it is, the more you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, number two. What do you got? All right. Another one that people are going to say is a travesty I didn't put as number one. And arguably, this is probably one of their most popular and well-known songs for people who don't even really know ACDC and don't even really like what we'll call rock or heavy metal music. Mm -hmm. And that's You Shook Me All Night Long. If you've been to a wedding in the last 30 years and you have not heard You Shook Me All Night Long, pardon me, you have not been to a wedding with white people and you haven't heard You Shook Me All Night Long. The DJ is not doing his job. Yeah, then the DJ is not doing his job or somebody in the wedding party has given explicit instructions not to play Don't play that. Yeah, this is a party song. This gets played at every party, every backyard barbecue, at every tailgate party. Like this this is just a song that you listen to and it makes you feel good. It's it's. uh Again, we're talking double entendres with the lyrics and and uh, or with the the yeah the lyrics. Um, this is a very very popular song. It's a very good song. It's catchy. It's it's probably less rock and roll to me. Well, that's not fair. It's definitely a rock and roll song, but to me, this is not as heavy. Let's say as some of ACDC's other big hits. Um, it's I would definitely call it a rock and roll song, but this one I wouldn't necessarily classify as like heavy metal. Like I might like the one you just picked. Like the one you. Long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Like, that's a heavy metal song. This one I would just put as, like, a great rock song. Um, again, it's got great pedigree. Um, it, uh, it was on the Back in Black album, so two picks in a row for me from Back in Black uh, from 1980. Um, it reached number 35 on the USA Top 100s uh, charts. It uh, was also on that 
top 500 greatest songs from Rolling Stones. This one was number 287, exactly 100 places behind Back in Black. So um, definitely made that list as well. And uh, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, although it came out on Back in Black, when um, the movie Who Made Who, the Stephen King movie came out, uh, ACDC did most or all of the songs on the soundtrack. I want to say this was re-released and it was included on that soundtrack as well. Does that ring true to you? Does that sound uh, right? I don't know if it was or not because uh, Who Made Who had its own soundtrack with Who Made Who and like uh, DT and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm not sure if it did I, or not. I, I thought I had read, but... I, think, I think they had put a few other ACDC songs on that soundtrack that, that were not new for the movie, but, and I'm fairly, cause that's in my mind, this is how I remember hearing this for the first time. A friend of mine bought the movie soundtrack who made who song. I liked, uh, it, and because it was a new song, it was played on the radio. And then this one, I was like, Oh, this one I didn't know. And, uh, but yeah, now you can't escape this. If you have classic rock channel on for the better part of a day, you are going to hear this song probably has more radio airplay than any of their other hits. Uh, it's very, I would say it's a very friendly song for ACDC. And again, I mean that in all the right ways. And so it constantly gets played everywhere. And uh, it definitely needs to be on the list. For me, it landed at number two. You shook me all night long. Yeah, it still has the sexual connotations, but not like, like it doesn't hit you over the head with it. And again, musically, I like it because it's all open chords. They're going open D, open G. Like it's oh, so good. So good. All right. My number two, great songs, Derek, do not have to be complicated musically. They can be simple. And when it comes to ACDC, that's usually the case. <laughs> but it's definitely the case with my number two song, Highway to Hell. Nice. Three simple chords, all open chords. Again, that's what makes their sound so unique. So they go from like an A to an F sharp D and then into an open G. Super simple progression. And it's got a simple money beat on the drums too. A couple of great crashes in the chorus, but it's all just really simple, but so, so good. So it, it opens with just three strums on an A chord, something absolutely simple, but it's immediately recognizable. One of my all time favorite songs to play in a band because it just kicks butt and everybody loves it too. So uh, even the guitar solo is pretty simple. Like you, he's Angus is just bending into some high notes of an A chord, so super bluesy solo too. Like oh, it's, it's him all the way. So, um, thing was too, back in the like the late seventies, early eighties, there was a lot of hysteria around like satanic messages in hard rock music. Yeah, yeah. And here you've got a, a song that's called Highway to Hell. You know, it's also the name of the album, right? And Angus is on the cover of the album with like devil horns and a spike tail. But so they were just like tempting fate with the religious right wingers. But is that what the song is all about? I, I don't know. Like it could be, but it, it could just be about the rough road that all bands have to endure. Kind of like the, the last song, Long Way to the Top, right? Like, or maybe it's just yep. about a, a road back in Australia that drove into the setting sun. Like, that's that's a rumor, too. Like, who knows? But th that's, I think, the beauty of it all. Like, you don't know. But I do know this. This song kicks ass. Right from the open note to the final vocal, this song is ACDC. Love it. My number two. Yeah. Number no, one, That's a good man. pick. What do you got? Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go back to, to where we started here. So my introduction to ACDC, like 
was in the late 80s, early 90s. And because that's when I was starting to get like like I was into pop music in the 80s, but I started getting more into rock music in like 89, 90, 91. And in 1990, ACDC put out an album called The Razor's Edge. Mm -hmm. And the single that just did it for me was Thunderstruck. And I think this is absolutely one of their very, very best songs. Um, From what I was reading, apparently this is one of the songs that they have played at almost every single live show they have ever done since this song came out. And apparently that's, that's an oddity because they, I was reading, it said um, there's only three songs that there were released after the back in black album that the band actually does perform live. And this is one of those three songs. And not only that, but it, it has been played at every single song. The band clearly, Unlike my number five pick of Big Gun, where they never play it, this is the exact opposite. Thunderstruck from 1990, they play it all the time because I think even they realize, like, this song is a banger. This song is awesome. Um, it was it was sort of, this was my gateway into ACDC. They put out this album. They put out this single. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I now love ACDC. And that's, this is the song that that got me interested enough in the band that I started going back to listen to their older stuff. Oh, they listen how great some of this older stuff is. Um, I also liked that, uh, you know, me, I'm a big music video guy. I mean, ACDC's videos are pretty straightforward. It's usually just the band playing in, you know, performing a concert in one way or the other. Right. This one had them in like a theater, but the, the audience, it was, it was set up in like a cage or almost like a prison. Almost. It looked like, like sort of prison cells and it just had a very distinct, visual style considering that the the video itself is really just a band playing live but it also had um interesting camera work uh where it had like the little cameras on the ends of the necks of the guitars looking down at the hands and it had the performers on like a, a transparent stage so you could get the shots underneath especially when um uh, when he's jumping around in the little in the, the, the private school outfit. And he does that, like the one leg hop and you can see it from underneath the stage. And it's like, I hadn't seen anything like that before. So it was a a fairly simplistic video, but it was still memorable. And in an age where you were starting to get more like teeny bopper style music, it was nice to have like a good hard rock and roll song. And like this one just fits the bill across the board. This, I can't say enough good things about it. It's it overshadows the song, um, the other songs from this, like from the Razor's Edge album. There was um, Money Talks, Money Talks, yeah. and um, um, oh my God, Track Seven. I can't think of what. It is. Um, uh, Are you ready? I think this was called. Um, and uh, but yeah, no, this one's just so good. It overshadows the other good songs that are also on this album. So can't say enough good things about it. I think I got to go with Thunderstruck. Like I said. Back in Black, Shook Me All Night Long, Thunderstruck. It was a, it was a crapshoot for me. Mm-hmm. I think all three of them are great. I think any of them would have fit in my number one slot. But I think because this was sort of my intro to this band, I needed to give it the number one recognition. Sure. So, okay, my number one. Like, I mentioned a lot of ACDC songs I really like for their simplicity. You know, just three chords and an amazing hook. But my all-time favorite ACDC song is all about the layers of the music that comes in and I know we're supposed to disagree and all that stuff to make for, you know, good radio and good podcasting. But my song also thunderstruck. I'm nice. with you hundred percent. I love how it's composed. Cause it starts with Angus doing this crazy riff, just using pull offs on the B string over and over. And then the backing vocals come in. Uh, and then the vocals switch to thunder. And then the drums start 
and then the bass guitar and then the rhythm guitar. And then all of a sudden you have this wall of sound that's just hitting you in the chest, like full on. And then Brian Johnson comes in with his crazy, amazing vocals. And then a second layer of rhythm guitar comes in. It is not just ACDC's best song. It is one of the greatest hard rock songs of all time. Like you mentioned, it's on Razor's Edge from 1990. But which the thing with that album is, it, in a lot of ways, it was around the time when hard rock and metal started to decline. You know, at least with yeah. mainstream audiences, right? Like, I always felt that this song kind of marked the end of an era for metal and hard rock. Audiences' taste started to shift. You know, they started to go over to stuff like rap and hip hop and stuff like that started to take over. So in a lot of ways, this song represents the end of an era in music. At least it does for me. But um, I have heard lots of people always ask this question. What's one song that instantly makes you turn up the volume when it comes on? And for me, Thunderstruck. It is one of the best rock songs of all time. And it's their best song. So that's what I think. So I agree with you, even though we're not supposed to agree on this stuff, but well, absolutely and I, was, I do. I was surprised that uh, that you had anything like past 1989. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of figured I was safe. I knew I had a couple from the 90s on there, but uh, no, I'm, I'm again, it's not a competition. Mm-hmm. It's your nope. personal favorite. And yep. it doesn't surprise me that this is I mean, it surprised me a little bit, but it's such a great song. It, it, it really doesn't surprise me. So no. Of course. All right. What do you say? We have some fun with Caveman. Derek, we've already mentioned ACDC were famous for writing songs that had, uh, how can we say, double meanings. You know? Okay. But they weren't the only band that had songs that were sort of secretly dirty. You know? Oh, no. That's been a staple in rock and roll for years. So here's what we're going to do, Derek. We're going to play a little game that I like to call... Ladies and gentlemen, name that tune. All right, so every song in tonight's game has a secret double meaning. Pretty much okay. usually about sex. It's kind of the okay. Case. All right, so I'm going to give you the band and I'm going to give you a few choice lyrics. All you got to do, name the song. Okay? Name the song. Okay. All right. So, Brian Adams, me and some guys from school had a band, and we tried real hard. That would be Summer 69. Yes. That song doesn't have any double meaning. What are you talking about? It's when you both at the same time. Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, All right, here's one. Deep Purple. Sweet Lucy was a dancer, but none of us would chance her. Because she was a samurai. Smoke on the water. No, it's knocking at your back door. Oh. Is that even by Deep Purple? Did I just offend 20 people? Uh, no, you're good. Yeah, it was all good. Okay. But knocking at your back door was the sure. song with the double entendre. Yeah, you can imagine. I, that. that's I don't think I know that song, but yeah. that. that you can imagine what it's about. Okay, sure. so Aerosmith. Loving it up when I'm going down. That'd be loving an elevator. All right, Def Leppard. You got to squeeze a little, squeeze a little, tease a little more. Easy operator coming knocking at my door. That would be pour some sugar on me. 
All right. Pat Benatar. That's okay. Let's see how you do it. Put up your dukes. Let's get down to it. Uh, hit me with your best shot. Okay, ZZ Top. They may make several appearances here on the yeah, list. No kidding. Just, you know. Okay, here we go. And that's not jewelry she's talking about. It really don't cost that much. Yeah, uh, that would be a pearl necklace. Yeah, that's when you... Jeez, man. <laughs> okay. Family show. Family show. Your sensors are working overtime here. ZZ Top. Again. I got the six. Give me your nine. I have no idea. Oh, it's from a song called I Got the Six. Again, it's about. Yeah, thanks. Okay. ZZ Top again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, boogie little baby, boogie woogie all night long. Blow your top, blow your top, blow your top. I, I don't know. The song was called Tube Snake Boogie. <laughs> you can probably guess. What how how could you tube possibly snake. misconstrue the language of that song? <laughs> exactly. All right. Next band. ZZ Top. Jeez. <laughs> oh, we just going through their whole catalog? <laughs> My baby understood had what to do what she should. Lying near a pile of wood. Lay it on some. Playing with it some. <laughs> I have no idea. The song was called Woke Up With Wood. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. All right. Last one. ZZ Top. ZZ Top, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up. I've been down. Take my word. My way round. That one I know. That's Tush. Yeah. And of course refers to So. Yeah. ZZ well, Top was... I went- was dirty. Oh, six out of ten, man. I, I not bad. I didn't think I was going to do nearly that well. <laughs> so, ZZ Top, though, man, they were like America's dirty uncles. <laughs> really, yeah. You think about it. Well, so. and I, they didn't. They didn't really try and hide. No, the <laughs> double entendre very well. You know, the song's called Tush. Like, what do you think it was about? <laughs> exactly. Okay. So up next, how about we do another movie review? A film celebrating sure. a major milestone anniversary. I'd like to go back to 1983, Derek. Surprise, surprise. It's to the 80s? Long. I know. No. So I want to go back to a movie celebrating 40 years. From 1983, and that's Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of that one? Uh, I haven't seen it in a long, long time. I think I've only seen it in its entirety once. It is one of those movies that, like, Monty Python fans love. Like, they really, really Oh, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I definitely, there's some sketches in there that I know I've, mm-hmm. I've seen many times. Oh, I've seen them on YouTube. I've seen the clips. Um, okay. Monty yeah. Python, Meaning of Life. Yeah. So let's go back and watch The Meaning of Life from 1983. And we'll come back next time and we'll review it. So until then, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to our show. It's Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. We'll be right back.